Must be at least 18 years old. Promo code, location, and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. Please play responsibly. Call 800-426-2537 for help. Think you know sports? Then try to turn your sports knowledge into real money with the Sleeper app. The ultimate fantasy sports app that can turn game day into payday. With up to 100 times payout and your first deposit matched up to $500. Just download the Sleeper app and pick your favorite sports and players, like Christian McCaffrey's rushing yards. With more stats than any sports app, just choose two or more of your favorite players from pregame, live, or even across different sports. Pick more or less from the predicted stats and ka-ching. You could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins. With the Sleeper app, you can make picks anytime, even after the game starts, with up to 100 times payout. What are you waiting for? Download Sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports apps in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the Sleeper app today, and use code SPORTS for up to $500 match on your first deposit. That's promo code SPORTS. Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. I'm Sandman, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for tuning in tonight. Well, it's Monday, October 7th, 2013, and of course that means that it's time for another episode of Parareality Radio. This is the Halloween edition of Parareality Radio for 2013. Coming in a little early, I know, but as I want to keep on the show schedule, I am staying true to my schedule and broadcasting on the first Monday of the month. I won't be uh, in town to do a, a Halloween special on the 31st because I'm actually going to be traveling. and, and uh, So... Doing the Halloween show early this year, so tonight, anyway, I'm anyway tonight, I'm I'm going to be tackling a subject that I don't think I've actually ever done before. I'm going to be exploring the legend of the werewolf. I'll take a look at the origins of the werewolf, going all the way back to Greek mythology. I'll also be describing the transformation process as as well as all the different ways that one can transform into a werewolf. I'll also discuss some of the possible explanations behind becoming a werewolf and cite some of the more popular cases of werewolfism or lycanthropy from the past. And if time allows, I'll also describe an ancient ritual where one can transform into a werewolf. Now, I've got a lot of info packed into this show. I'm going to try to squeeze it all in in an hour. 
I don't know that I can do it, but I'm going to give it my best attempt. So I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to push forward and uh, tell you how you can get in touch with me. I'm going to move on with the show. I'm not going to just you know do any pleasantries here. So everybody knows how you can get in touch with me, so I'm just going to go over it real fast because there are several ways that you can go about it. First of all, Yahoo Messenger. Reach me on Yahoo Messenger by my screen name. That's GrayDragon98. If you're not already on my contact list, please let me know that you listen to the show whenever you send me a friend request. Otherwise, the chances that I'll ignore or decline your invitation are pretty high. You can also send an email to sandman at parareality.com or you can visit my website, which is www.parareality.com. That's P-A-R-A-R-E-A-L-I-T-Y, parareality.com. I'm also available on Facebook. Just look for sandman.parareality on Facebook. And finally, you can still call the studio line. The number is 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is area code 615, then dial 692 1170 and leave a message just be aware that i may play your comment back on the show so if you don't want your message played on the show you better tell me Uh, i may also answer the phone as well because i'm always in the studio working and you just may catch me there so those are all the different ways that you can get in touch with me here on parareality radio not going to go over them again because once again i've got a lot of info that I'm going to try to squeeze in to this hour-long show this evening. So I'm going to take a quick break, get prepared to do the show. I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite songs ever. This is by the late, great Warren Zevon. Very appropriate for the show. This is Werewolves of London, and I'll be right back.
behind the tent Who ran amok in Kent Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair You better stay away from him He'll rip your lungs out, Jim I'd like to meet his tailor with the queen doing the werewolves of London I saw Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the queen <clears throat> doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's and his hair was perfect This is Parareality Radio, your information source for all things paranormal. Join your host Sandman and his roster of special guests, experts, and experiencers as they explore the realms of the known and the unknown. New shows broadcast the first Monday of every month at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Listen online at parareality.com. Turn on. Tune in and find out. Love that song, Werewolves of London, by the late, great Warren Zevon. So, what actually is a werewolf? Speaking of werewolves, what actually is a werewolf or lycanthropy? Is it a fact based on concrete evidence? Is it a myth, a fabrication of feeble minds? Is it an exaggeration of some other things? Well, all these questions have been puzzling mankind for the last five centuries. Though many ingenious hypotheses have been suggested as possible explanations, definite conclusions can't be drawn. Some experts have tried to observe it as purely supernatural phenomenon, while others have relied on scientific observations. Contradictions and debates still persist and will continue till any single theory solves the jigsaw puzzle, which seems unlikely considering the complexity and diversity of the topic. Nonetheless, the werewolf phenomenon has not just perished, at least not yet. Recent werewolf sightings are still reported even to this day. Now, the word werewolf is most likely to derive from two Old Saxon words, were, W-E-R, meaning man, and wolf, of course. Frequently used uh, Greek terms, lycanthropy, refers to the transformation process, while lycanthrope, which is in fact synonymous to werewolf, is the actual afflicted person. The popular definition of werewolf or lycanthrope is a man who transforms himself into as a man who transforms himself or is 
transformed somehow into a wolf under the influence of a full moon. So, let's look at the origin of the werewolf legend. During the Middle Ages, especially from the 15th to the 17th century, Europe was under the dark shadow of ignorance and superstition. Towns were underdeveloped and people lived near woods. The fear of wolves was like a nightmare. Their attacks were so frequent and atrocious in nature that people even feared to travel from one place to another. Every morning, countryside people would find half-eaten human limbs scattered across the fields. The first recorded werewolf sighting took place around the countryside of a German town, uh, Cologne, and Bedburg in 1591. An age-old pamphlet describes those moments actually quite vividly. Few people, uh, a few people cornered a large wolf, and they had some a pack of dogs, and they set their dogs on it. They started to stab it with spears and sharp sticks, and surprisingly, the ferocious wolf did not run away, or actually, it uh, didn't even try to protect itself, really. Uh, what happened was, it stood up, and it turned out to be a middle-aged man whose name was Peter Stubble, and he was from the same village. I said Stubble, it's Peter Stubb, excuse me, God, I can't even talk. Stubb was put on a torture wheel where he confessed to 16 murders, including those of two pregnant women and 13 children. The history behind his downfall is actually kind of bizarre. He had started to practice sorcery when he was only 12, and was so obsessed with it that he even tried to make a pact with the devil. Now, he obtained a magic girdle, and wearing this girdle, he started to attack his enemies, whether they were real or imagined. And after several months, he would take the guise of a wolf, and he continued with his evil acts on an even more brutal nature. In this wolf form, he used to tear out victims' throats and suck warm blood out of their bodies. Now, gradually, his thirst for blood grew, and he roamed around the fields in search of, of prey. The savagery of his crimes was obviously beyond imagination for that time, or, or really any time, if you want to think about it. The trial record mentioned few of them. Uh, once two men and a woman were walking along a road that went through the forest, and this is uh, pieced together from trial records. Uh, this man and this, and this woman was walking along a road that went through the forest, and, and Stubb would hide in this area. And he called one of them over and was like, hey, come over here. Uh, actually called the uh, the man over. And when the man did not return for a period of time, another man followed his trail, and he also disappeared into the forest. 
And then the ladies sitting around waiting. Both men didn't return for a long time. And the woman turned around and ran. Later, two mangled male corpses were recovered from the forest. But the woman somehow disappeared. And no one ever really knew knew what happened to her. It was believed that uh, Stubb had somehow found her and devoured her. But it was never proven. Young girls playing together or milking the cows in the fields were his frequent victims. He used to chase them around like a dog, and he would, would catch the slowest one, and first he would rape her and then kill her. And he would drink the hot blood fresh from the body and just eat the tender flesh from her bones. However, the most gruesome sin he committed was upon his own son. He took him to a nearby forest, cracked his child's head open, and literally ate his brains like a zombie. Now, of course, you can imagine no punishment could match the magnitude of Stubbs' crime. His flesh, this is from the court records, it says that his flesh was pulled off with a red-hot pincher, and his arms and legs were broken, and he was finally decapitated, and after that his carcass was burned to ashes. The magistrate built, supposedly built a monument remembering the ghastly incident. Why he wanted to want to build a monument to remember that, I don't know. Uh, what it was was workmen put the torture wheel atop a tall pole with Stubbs' head above it and structured uh, structured it the, the, the head with the likeness of a wolf. Sixteen pieces of yard-long woodcuts were hung from the rim of the wheel commemorating the sixteen poor souls of the victims. The words of Stubbs' trial and execution spread across the lands in no time. His brutality, atrocity, and savagery were beyond human comprehension, and he was readily related with the behavior of a wolf. People started to believe that such individuals with the shadow of wolves were living among them, and they named them werewolves. Greek mythology also testifies to the existence of werewolves. The god Zeus himself once disguised himself as a traveler and and sought out hospitality um, to the court of the Akkadian or Akkadian, excuse me, King Lycion. The king recognized the god and tried to kill him by serving him human flesh. Zeus, obviously figured out that this was going to be a trick, and he did not eat. Instead, he got pissed off, and he destroyed the palace and condemned the king to spend the rest of his life as a wolf. Most most probably this mythology originated the Greek word lycanthrope, which is actually synonymous to werewolf. Lycos, the Greek word lycos, meaning wolf, and anthropos, meaning man. You put them together lycanthrope, and it comes out to wolf man. So let's take a look at the portrait of a werewolf and the transformation process itself. A composite portrait of a werewolf can be sketched from centuries of stories. In human form, they had bushy eyebrows that met over the bridge of the nose, giving themselves the 
the unibrow look, and their blood-red fingernails were long and almond-shaped. Their mouth and eyes were always dry, and they always seemed to be thirsty. They had long and narrow ears that were like laid back on their heads, and their skin was rough, scratched, and hairy-looking with yellowish, pinkish, or greenish hues to it. In addition to these physical features, the werewolf also displayed certain uh, psychological traits. They generally preferred the night and solitude, and they had an inclination towards visiting the graveyards, and they were known to, from time to time, dig up corpses and feast upon them. And the transformation process could be achieved by any of these following methods that I'm about to describe to you here. First of all, there's the dreaded curse. An ill-fated man could become the victim of witchcraft or fall under the curse of evil spirits, and the person would involuntarily turn into a werewolf. That's one of the most popular. Uh, another is being bitten by a werewolf. That's another common belief, and anyone can become a werewolf if the saliva of a werewolf could find a way into the victim's bloodstream. And this could be from a bite or a scratch. Once again, one of the more popular ways or beliefs that one can be turned into a werewolf. Some other things that are probably you've heard of but aren't quite as popular uh, are the putting on of wolf skin. This is the easiest way of becoming a werewolf and probably the least painful. However, there have been debates concerning the effectiveness of this method. An evil-minded person could put on the hide of a dead wolf and somehow become a werewolf. In case the complete skin was unavailable, a belt or a girdle of wolf hide could actually suffice. Now, I am assuming that it takes a little bit more than just taking werewolf skin or werewolf hide, throwing it on you, and, oh, here I am, I'm going to become a werewolf. I'm, I'm assuming that you're going to have to incorporate some of the other stuff that I'm about to tell you. One of those would be occult or devil worshiping. Uh, a person can start worshiping the devil and surrender his soul to Satan. Satan's then going to grant him the power to become a werewolf. In some cases, it could be any evil spirit answering to devotion. So it doesn't necessarily have to be Satan. It can be some sort of demon. I would think that if you were worshiping Satan or a demon and you put on a wolf skin, that that would probably be how the wolf skin thing would work. But I, I don't know. There's also magic salve or ointment. A good number of recorded cases mention a, pot a potent salve or, or some kind of an ointment with which the person would rub their bodies, it would rub all over their bodies to induce the transformation. The compositions of those ointments were different, but generally contained plant ingredients like nightshade, belladonna, uh, and hensbane, uh, pig fat, 
turpentine and olive oil were also used as a solvent for them. And later, when the distillation of, of spirits was perfected, alcohol actually served the purpose. So once again, I think that the, the, the salve or the ointment thing could go back to the putting on of wolf skin. Uh, but really, the occult or devil worshipping with the wolf skin, I think, was probably those probably went hand in hand, as well as the putting on the wolf skin and this um, final method of of transformation, which would be ritual acts. Evidence of ceremonial rituals are often mentioned in werewolf cases. The rituals were mainly any combination of the voluntary methods of becoming a werewolf, such as what I just described. Uh, First, the afflicted person would locate an isolated place and trace a big circle on on the soil, on the dirt. In the center of that circle, he made a fire and prepared his magic ointment. After rubbing his body all over with the ointment, he would wear the wolf hide and concentrate on prayer to the devil. At the end of the process, the man turned into a wolf and ran in quest of prey. So you see how the putting on a wolf skin, the occult, demon, demonic, or devil worshiping, and the magic salve or ointment are all incorporated into one big type of ritual, and the person is magically transformed into a werewolf. Lots better, I think, than going out and uh, being bitten by one or scratched by one. Because generally, if you're attacked by a werewolf, uh, you generally get all eaten up and die. So if you're going to become a werewolf, I would think that the easiest way would be probably to uh, get you some wolf hide and some magic salve and start worshiping Beelzebub and perform a ritual. That's probably about the easiest way. And in in my opinion, least painful way. Of, but turning into a werewolf itself is supposed to be quite painful. If you've never seen an American werewolf in London, you should really see that show because it has a one of the best werewolf transformation scenes in the history of movies. That and The Howling. You need to see the howling as well if you've never seen it. All right, some famous werewolf cases. Now, there are several famous werewolf cases. I am going to just do um, a brief few of these things that are rather old. And then I'm going to talk about the possible explanations of the werewolf phenomenon. So, first of all, before I do that, though, let's let's look at some famous werewolf cases. Now, as centuries passed, there came a point when stories were told to amuse people were replaced by real incidents and real suffering. Suddenly, tales such as the one that I opened the show with, with Stubb, these things really started to emerge. It was as if people believed that werewolves were everywhere. 
the trial records of lycanthropes increased at an epidemic rate. In France alone, between 1520 and 1630, so you're looking at 110 years here, there were some 30,000 individuals who were labeled as werewolves. And many of these people underwent traumatic interrogation and torture. Whether they confessed or not, most of them suffered death at the stake. And here are a few recorded sensational werewolf trials that have been mentioned that I'm going to go over with that are some of the more famous cases. First of all, we have the case of Pierre Burgot and Michel Verdun. The trial of Pierre Burgot and Michel Verdun, two French peasants in 1521, got widespread notoriety. Nineteen years prior, when Burgot was desperately trying to gather his sheep in from a storm, he came across these three mysteriously black-dressed horsemen. One of them assured him the future protection of his sheep and gave him some money. In return, the stranger asked Burgot to obey him as his lord. Burgot accepted the offer and agreed to meet these men again. In the second meeting, the so-called lord announced the full conditions of the deal, which were this. Burgot must denounce God, the Holy Virgin, and the company of heaven and baptism, which... He did. And a year passed, and Burgot became reluctant to maintain this, this pact. He was then called by a man named Michel Verdum. Verdum ordered him to strip naked and rub a magic ointment on his body. When Burgot had followed as instructed, he found that his arms and legs had become hairy and his hands reshaped into paws. Verdum transformed himself into a werewolf along with Burgot, and together they ran through the surrounding countryside and committed various and sundry awful crimes. They tore to pieces a seven-year-old boy. They killed a woman and abducted a four-year-old girl. The unfortunate girl was fully eaten by both of the men, or should I say werewolves. And when they were caught, they were, of course, duly put to death. Their picture was hung in the local church as a reminder of all the evil deeds that men commit under the influence of Satan. So there we have uh, kind of a, a twofold thing going back to the salve or the ointment and the worshiping of devils or demons. Now we come to the story of the Hermit of Dole, a man by the name of Giles Garnier. After finding several half-eaten children, the authorities of the town uh, called Dole in, the, in uh, a French province put a price 
on a werewolf's head in 1573. Two months later, an alleged werewolf named Giles Garnier was arrested. Most of his victims were nine to 12-year-old children. You're sensing a pattern here that werewolves go after children. He slew them with his paws and his teeth. To satisfy his appetite, he ate flesh from their thigh, legs, and belly. The story of his crimes and execution still survives through folk songs. So they say, but I haven't, wasn't able to find any, any songs, uh, probably because none have been recorded, and you do not want to hear me sing. So we're sensing a pattern here that werewolves go after little children. Now, why do you think that is? Well, a few reasons why I think that is. Number one, kids are easier. Kids can, they're more gullible. Kids can uh, be lured a little bit more easily and tricked a little bit more easily than the adults. And possibly, just possibly, werewolves are pedophiles. Or maybe werewolf is a moniker, a code name for pedophiles back centuries ago. Something to think about. I don't know if anyone's ever proposed that theory before, but what if werewolves or supposed werewolves, people who are suspected of being werewolves, what if they were just simply sick, sick pedophiles? Something to think about. Anyway, we've got a few more famous werewolf cases to talk about. The Werewolf of Cod, again, in 1598. Uh, well, I say 1598, like again, like I was just talking about 1598. The previous case was when? 1573. So now we're, we're, we're talking about 1598. A man by the name of Jacques Rollet. He was tried for killing and eating... Once again, a young boy, 15 years old. He was known as the Werewolf of Cod. When he was found in the woods, he was half-naked with long matted hair and blood-covered hands. He was still holding a lump of flesh in his hands. And in his trial, he described how he had slaughtered various people, including a number of, get this, attorneys, lawyers, and bailiffs. Though he was sentenced to death, he was later sent to a, a mental institution. And strangely enough, he stayed there for only two years. And I don't know what happened after he was released. I have, I have no idea. But I think I, I find it funny that he killed attorneys, lawyers, bailiffs, people like that. Interesting, huh? So. Let's talk about another one. I've got a couple of more that I'm going to go over. This other one's called The Tailor. Now, among other werewolf cases, the story of a tailor stands out for its peculiarity. The alleged werewolf would hide in the forest and wait for passersby. And whenever he could get a chance, he jumped out and he killed the unsuspecting person. He had a shop, and he used it as bait for children. He would tempt them into his shop and kill them. 
In his cellars, he would store body parts and bones in barrels. The records accumulated during his trial were so repulsive that the court decided to destroy them. So we don't know actually what all happened. All this is just like hearsay. So very interesting. Uh, That's all I could find about this guy. I don't really know his name or anything or exactly where this took place. Records are really hard to find out about this. Uh, Very Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, there's my creepy clock striking the sound of midnight. Ooh, creepy. Creepy for Halloween. Okay, so the last story that I'm going to recount is called The Boy Lycanthrope. There's a record of a child werewolf, believe it or not, and his name was John Grignard. His story was more or less like that of the aforementioned Burgo. When his father had beaten him, he ran away from home and he wandered around the countryside. One evening, another boy named Pierre took him into the deepest, darkest part of the woods. And according to them, the Lord of the Jungle was there, whatever that means. He was a tall, black, dressed, dark man upon a dark horse. This person, this Lord of the Jungle, got off his horse and he kissed the boys with what they described as ice-cold lips. In the second meaning, both of the boys submitted themselves to the self-prescribed Lord or this guy, and he scratched tattoos on their thighs as brands. He brought out a wine bag and he gave them a drink. He also presented them wolf skins and an ointment. He taught them how to rub their bodies with the ointment before putting on the fur. And during their reign of terror, 15 children disappeared. When they were finally caught in 1603, or when Garnier was finally caught in 1603, he confessed to eating all of the kids. At that time, he was 14, and he was what they say was physically and mentally retarded. Now, taking into account his age and limited mental capacity, the George, the judge ordered that he be confined in a cloister for his rest of his life. Uh, when he got there, he refused to eat any regular food and... Seven years later, when a man called Pierre de Lancy visited him, he had grown like a, you know into a gaunt and lean young man. He had deep-set black eyes that were described as being like fireballs, and his hands were like claws with bent nails, and his teeth resembled that of canine. Apparently he enjoyed hearing about wolves and he readily imitated them. And after one more year he died to be remembered forever in the annals of werewolves as the boy lycanthrope. Now his case is is among those that contributed to the shift in attitude towards the werewolf phenomenon. The head of the inquest committee who looked into this case found him incapable of rational thought mentioning The change of shape existed only in the disorganized brain of the insane. Consequently, it was not a crime that could be punished. Judges began to regard werewolf cases with more tolerance after that. So, 
this kid was mentally retarded, and he had a story about the Lord of the Jungle in the woods. So you can see how kind of that whole thing didn't make sense. And was he his case a true case of lycanthropy? Probably not. It was probably his fantasy. I don't know what happened to the other boy. Couldn't find out. No earthly idea. How much time am I running here? Whoa, I got 20 minutes left on the show. I don't know that I'm going to be able to fit everything in. Let's talk about some possible explanations of this werewolf phenomena. So, like I said at the top of the show, what actually is a werewolf or lycanthropy? You know, um, well, some people during the Middle Ages, you can, when you're talking about the, the birth of, of lycanthropy and werewolfism, you've got to go back to the Middle Ages. And, of course, this would be talking about mythology, mythological explanation of the werewolf phenomenon, if you will. Some people during the Middle Ages believed that the werewolf was a projection of a demon, which made his victims appear as a wolf in his own eyes and to those around him. For others, the werewolf was a direct manifestation of the devil. Early 17th century French author Henri Bourget believed, as did a great many people of that day and time, that Satan would leave the lycanthrope asleep behind a bush, go forth as a wolf, and perform whatever evil might be in that person's mind. And according to Bourget, the devil could confuse the sleeper's imagination to such an, such an extent that he believes he had really been a wolf and had run about and killed man and beast and committed all these crimes. And there was a clergyman and scholar by the name of Robert Burton who considered lycanthropy to be a form of, of mental illness. And he actually wrote a book called Anatomy of Melancholy, in 1621, and melancholy is kind of the old term for crazy people. Uh, so he wrote this book in 1621 called Anatomy of Melancholy, and he blamed everything from sorcerers and witches to poor diet, bad air, sleeplessness, and even a lack of exercise for lycanthropy. The Mysteries of Magic, written by a 19th century French occultist, uh, even postulates the existence of a of of a phantom, a, a body that acts as mediator between a living organism and the soul. So, quoting from the book, thus, in cases of a man whose instinct is savage and sangui sanguinary, his phantom will wander around in lupine form whilst he sleeps painfully at home, dreaming he is a veritable wolf. Now. The person that wrote this book believed that the wounds so often reported in the cases of werewolves could be attributed to the out-of-body experience. He saw the human body as a subject to magnetic and nervous influences and capable of receiving the wounds suffered by the metamorphosed shape. Now, contrary to the, to the popular explanations that existed during the Middle Ages, a, a few doctors at the time asserted that it was caused by an excess of melancholy, there's that word again, or an imbalance in humors, the liquid or fluid part of the body, as what humors were believed to have been. Many doctors believed that uh, such melancholy could lead to insanity and delusion. 
One physician recommended that the lycanthrope should be treated with baths, purging, bleeding, dietary measures, and rubbing opium into the nostrils. Yeah, that'll make him not be a werewolf anymore. Let's get him hyped up on the poppy. <laughs> oh, boy. So, you've got the mythological explanations. So, what about some scientific explanations of lycanthropy or werewolfism? Well, first of all, you've got food contamination. The diet of medieval peasants may have been a source of werewolf delusions because there was this thing called ergo. An ergo infection on food grains like wheat and rye was common in Europe during the Middle Ages. Now, ergo is actually a fungus which grows in place of grains in wet seasons after very cold winters. Alkaloids of this fungus are chemically related to LSD, which is a strong hallucinogenic psychoactive drug, and it produces dreamlike changes in mood and thought and alters the perception of time and space. It can create lack of self-control, extreme terror, and blurring the feeling between the individual and the, and the environment. So, ergo mimics this. So, a lot of cases were blamed on ergo poisoning. Even though it's rare, there have been cases where whole villages have been affected by this ergo poisoning. Now, there's also substance-induced hallucinations. Recorded werewolf cases in contemporary literatures mention rubbing magic ointment on the skin or inhaling vapor from a magic potion by the alleged lycanthrope. The main ingredients of the ointment or potion were what I've already mentioned before, belladonna, nightshade. Um, these things can produce hallucinations and delusions of bodily metamorphosizing. This might explain how a person can make himself behave or act like a werewolf. And of course, there's also physical and mental illnesses. Um, there's all kinds of modern day um, terms for, for uh, body image distortion. Um, it's a psychological illness. Um, there's hypertrichosis, which is, you know, the people who have the hair all over their bodies. Uh, rabies is another condition. Um, of course, rabies is a strain of virus carried by dogs, wolves, and other animals, including vampire bats. Uh, the virus strikes the central nervous system and produces an uncontrollable excitement and painful contractions of the throat muscles. Um that prevents the, the sufferer or the victim from drinking, and usually the patient dies within three or four days of the first symptom. So um, probably couldn't relate a lot to rabies. Um, hypertrichosis, which is known as wolfitis, it refers to a condition of excessive body hair growth. Uh, in most cases, the term is used to refer to an above-average amount of normal body hair that is unwanted. Um, you know, I don't think that hypertrichosis is going to be something that's going to cause people to go insane and start eating little children. So I think you can kind of maybe rule that out. Um 
there was a study on lycanthropy from the McLean Hospital in New York that reported on a series of cases and proposed some diagnostic criteria by which lycanthropy could be classified. Um, two of the things that it mentions, as a, as a patient reports in a moment of clarity or looking back, he sometimes feels like he's an animal or has felt like one. Another is that a patient behaves in a manner that he resembles or that resembles animal behavior, for example, crying, grumbling, or creeping. Now, according to these criteria, either a delusional belief in current or past transformation or behavior that suggests a person thinks themselves as transformed is considered evidence of clinical lycanthropy. Now, the authors of this study of this paper go on to note that although the condition seems to be an expression of psychosis, there's no specific diagnosis or mental of mental or neurological illness associated with its behavioral consequences. Now, looking at modern werewolf cases from a scientific point of view, there are many individuals today who believe that they're werewolves, and some of these people have, have been studied and treated by psychologists and psychiatrists, uh, the November 1975 issue of the Canadian Psychiatric Association Journal reported uh, some of the details of several more recent cases of lycanthropy. Now, of course, now we're talking about 1975, so we're talking 30 years plus ago. Um, but still, it's more modern day cases of lycanthropy. In the first case, there's a 20-year-old patient referred to as Mr. H., who was convinced that he was a werewolf. He was a drug user, and he told his doctor that while he was serving in the uh, U.S. Army in Europe, he had hiked into a forest near his post and had ingested LSD and strychnine. And strychnine is a deadly poison that acts as a stimulant when you take it in tiny quantities. Now, both substances are pharmacologically similar to some of the ingredients used by shapeshifters in the past. And they had an instant and potent effect on the young man who claimed to have been, uh, who, who claimed to have seen fur growing on his hands and felt it sprouting on his face. Soon he was overcome by a compulsion to chase after, catch, and devour live rabbits. He wandered in this delusional state for several days before returning to the post. Another werewolf patient was a 37-year-old person named Mr. W, who was admitted to the hospital after he uh, repeated uh, after he had repeated public displays of bizarre activity. One of those things, which included howling at the moon, he also reportedly slept in cemeteries. He allowed his hair and beard to grow out, and he would just lie down right in the center of busy roadways. Now, unlike Mr. H, Mr. W had no history of drug or alcohol abuse. He had once been a farmer and was considered of average intelligence, which was found in an IQ test administered when he served in the United States Navy. Now he was seen not only as psychotic, but also as intellectually deficient with a mental age of an 8 to 10 year old child. But because of the patient's increasing dementia, the doctors performed a brain biopsy, and their findings revealed an abnormal 
physiological deterioration of cerebral tissue, known as walnut brain. Mr. W. was diagnosed as having a chronic brain syndrome of unknown origin. When he was placed on antipsychotic drugs, he showed no further symptoms of lycanthropy. And later, when he was seen on an outpatient basis, he exhibited quiet, childlike behavior. Hmm, that's very interesting, isn't it? In October 1977, the issue of the uh, American Journal of Psychiatry details a particularly bizarre story of a 49-year-old woman who believed that she was a wolf and with increasing frequency had begun acting like one. She revealed that just below the surface of a seemingly normal 20-year marriage, she had harbored a consuming desire to indulge in secret bestial appetites. Her erotic daydreams often involved other women in polymorphous perverse orgies. The wolf was a constant and central figure in her fantasies. She felt its mesmerizing stare fastened onto her by day, its hot breath on her bare neck at night, and soon she began, quote, feeling like an animal with claws. For her, the message was clear. She was a wolf. After a while, she began to act out her compulsions. At a family gathering, for example, she was suddenly overwhelmed by the wolf passion. She stripped naked and dropped to all fours and excitedly approached her own mother and assuming the sexual posture of a female wolf, she offered herself to her. Nasty. The woman's state continued to deteriorate. The next evening, after making love to her husband, she'd lapsed into a two-hour episode of grunting and clawing and gnawing at the bed. She explained afterwards that the devil came into her body and she became an animal. Sounds like she had a mental disease. Enrolled in an inpatient program, she received daily psychotherapy and was placed on medication. In the first three weeks, she suffered relapses during which she would proclaim the following. She would say, I am a wolf of the night. I am a wolf woman of the day. I have claws, teeth, fangs, hair, and anguish is my prey at night. Powerless is my cause. I am what I am and will always roam the earth after death. I will continue to search for perfection and salvation. Now, concurrently, she experienced the urge to kill accompanied by a consuming sexual excitement. She now saw that she had the head of a wolf rather than her own face when she gazed in the mirror, and the medical staff committed on the unintelligible animal-like noises that she made. There was some improvement, but the patient then relapsed during the full moon. Now, writing about her experience, she stated, I don't intend to give up the search for, for what I lack in my present marriage, my search for such a hairy creature. I will haunt the graveyards for a tall, dark man that I intend to find. After nine weeks of treatment, she was released from the hospital on a regimen of drugs designed to free her of her delusion. Now, on the basis of the woman's symptoms, her doctors were able to formulate a 
psychological profile of the lycanthrope, which is not so different in despite of its modern medical language from the conclusion of some of the more enlightened physicians and thinkers of earlier time. Now, I don't know what happened to her after she was released from the hospital. I have heard of this story a couple of times before. Um, and it is a very, very interesting story. What really makes it um, unique is the fact that it involved a woman. So I kind of had to do the two-minute hurry-up offense here to work all this stuff in in the last part of the show. And I was going to do uh, a ritual. Uh, I was going to recite a ritual for someone who wanted to become a werewolf. But alas, I do not have the time to fit it into the show because I've only got a little less than five minutes left. Plus, I'm afraid that if I do it, I may actually become a werewolf. But you know what? That would be that would make a great show. What a way to go out, you know, turning into a werewolf on the air. That would be that would be pretty damn cool. Um, so I have this ritual uh, that I'm not going to describe because I just don't have the time. So um, that's going to do it for this episode of Parareality Radio. The 2013 Halloween edition. I hope you enjoyed me taking a look at the werewolf phenomenon, what causes it, and how it came to be. Now, if you were thinking that I was going to be spending the whole entire hour talking about, you know, transformations and and uh, all this other sorts of stuff and, and citing cases of people being bitten by werewolves and blah, 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 you were probably sorely disappointed, but you know, I always try to take a different approach to my topics and I wanted to look at it more from a scientific and historical point of view. So I hope that, that you did gain some information by listening to this very special Halloween edition of Pair Reality Radio. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show immensely. Let me know what you thought about it by dropping an email to me. That's sandman at parareality.com. Also, please remember to visit www.parareality.com. You can find out all kinds of information about the show on that website. You can listen to current and past episodes. And if you click on the Extras tab, you can join the official Parareality Radio Forum. It is free to join. You can also shop in the Pair Reality Radio Store and even watch some show videos and other stuff. Speaking of show videos, since it is Halloween, I do have the Horrible Horror Movie Marathon up and running on ParaReality.com. It is on the Extras tab. And uh, I want to say I'm very disappointed at the lack of participation in the poll on Facebook uh, you people suck for not voting. Um, so I'm just having to... Uh, I only did two, I only got two votes for the movies that you guys wanted to see. Two stinking votes. So uh, I'm not going to be doing a, a poll again to let people uh, choose stuff because you're, you're just not... You have proven that you're not going to do it. So I'm not going to waste my time because my time's valuable. So um, I'm just going to... Um, Show what I want to show. So the first movie in the horrible horror movie marathon for this 
this month of October is, drum roll please, Moon of the Wolf. It'll be showing all week long, and then I'll upload another movie on the 14th, which will be next Monday. The second movie is going to be Night Fright, followed by The Legend of Bigfoot on Monday, October 21st, and then winding things out on the 28th of October is going to be Beast of the Yellow Knight. So uh, check it out. They'll be playing all week, all month on Parareality.com. Speaking of Parareality, my next show is going to be available on Monday, November the 4th, 2013. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. Everyone, I hope that this radio program opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way that you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I will see you again next month. Moonlight is thought to transform some people into strange creatures to drive others mad. Hola, soy Fernando Allende. One small step for man, giant leap for man. Does the moon actually possess such strange powers, or is it all just lunacy?